Hello and welcome back to Division One Rejects. This is episode six. I'm your host, Kobe Manzo, joined today by my man, Zach Keen, on the board. Zach, how are we? What's going on? Well, today we have a great show with a lot of great information, so I think we're going to have some really good conversation today. Starting it off with a guest from Northwood University. That'll be the second... Uh, they the wolves. They'll be yeah. the second. They'll be the second wolf we've have on the show. Uh, quarterback from Northwood. I'm super excited to talk about out of Livonia Franklin High School. After that, we're going right into the Detroit Lions and how they have taken the next step to be a potential playoff contender. I know you're super happy to talk about that. And once we wrap up with the Lions, we're going to talk how the projected number one pick in this upcoming NFL draft, Trevor Lawrence, the QB out of Clemson, is quote open to foregoing the 2021 NFL draft. So. Depending on how the Jets, how badly they lose the rest of their games, I guess we'll see how that will play off. Um, Rutgers snaps a 21-game Big Ten losing streak at the expense of my Michigan State Spartans, or our Michigan State Spartans. That was a tough game to watch. Talk about that. And a ton of other great stuff. So stick around. Our podcast is recorded, uh, obviously, here in my dorm. We have a video podcast available on YouTube. Otherwise, tell your friends to find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, even Google Podcasts now. We just got on that. Or pretty much anywhere else. We're available on, like, 12 platforms. So get out there. There's no excuse. Uh, We're going to cut to that interview with Jake Kelpert, who joins us from Northwood University. Joining us today on Division One Rejects, we've got a quarterback from Northwood University, an absolute winner at the high school level. I have no doubt that he'll do the same thing at the college level. He had a 26-11 and 11 record as a starter at Livonia Franklin High School and brought his team to a state championship in his junior year. Ladies and gentlemen, Jake Kelbert. Jake, how's it going, boss? Good. How about you? Fantastic, man. I'm glad to uh, finally have you on here. But um, what have your uh, first impressions of college football been like, and how's Northwood? Uh, Northwood as a school, it's it's going pretty well. I mean, I came into exactly what I thought I was coming into, like the school and the people-wise, but definitely different not being in pads quite yet. We're hoping to get there soon, but I mean, it's pretty weird to be Halloween weekend and we haven't even put on pads once, so definitely a different experience for sure. Seriously, I mean, we just got Big Ten football back. We talk about that a ton today on the podcast, and there was a ton of Big Ten football. I'm sure you've been watching, but... For us, at least up at Northern, football has been on and off and on and off and canceled and restarted, and we've gone through all these different iterations of how much we're able to do, whether it be full pads or maybe meeting in small groups and then lifting in groups. Have you guys been pretty steady, or has this kind of been like a stop-and-go situation for you guys as well? It's been pretty steady for the most part for us. That's good. We've kind of ease our ways into it. Um, we did about the first month of practices were just helmets, or actually, sorry, no helmets. We actually yeah. just started having helmets on. And, uh, really? So, I mean, other than that, it's been pretty steady. Uh, we haven't had to really stop for any COVID-related reasons or anything like that. Man. So that was pretty nice. But, I mean, we've been lifting and doing some sort of workout slash practices for the past month and a half now. Damn. Man, that, that's, that's awesome to hear, though, that you guys, uh, you know, haven't had any COVID stoppages because it seems like up here it's just one after another. And you would think – at least for me, I would think the exact opposite, being up here isolated in the Upper Peninsula, you would think there's no way that COVID could really get a grip up here. But I, I'll tell you, it definitely has. I'm um, talking about working out a little bit. Um, because of the flooding last year in Midland, aren't you guys getting a brand new weight room? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, for the, it's new. The floor, the flooring is new. Okay, so uh, same we most, same area? We got, we got, yeah, we got to save most of our equipment. I mean, Sweet. the new floor installation, that was pretty nice. I mean, it looks a little – it looks newer. It definitely looks a lot nicer. Um. For sure. That's awesome. This is something I've been uh, wanting to talk to you about for a while. This is 
coming from someone when I when I was younger, I played, uh, you know, I played all the sports, baseball, basketball, football. And in each of these, my dad was always my head coach. He was always the guy who volunteered to coach all the way up until uh, my middle school years, until I finally moved on to high school, moved on to other coaches. I know your dad was your head coach in high school, and I wanted to get uh, kind of your sense on that and how important that was to you and your experience with him. Uh, I mean, it was definitely a different experience than most other high school athletes got to ever experience. Um, I definitely think it had a better, like a more positive outcome than negative. Good. Uh, it kind of just helped me become more coachable and start adapting to things that maybe I think one thing's right, but really in reality, he's the guy that has the say in everything. So I just got to kind of just keep on listening and just keep on listening to his advice. Yeah, that's awesome. I think sometimes that gets almost a bad rap, and you see it at a lot of different levels. I know uh, I knew a guy who was playing at Middle Tennessee State who's a close friend of a, of a family of mine and uh, Brent Stockstill, who is their Conference USA. I mean, that's big-time Division One football, and guess who the head coach was? His dad. So it happens at, it happens at pretty much every level, and I think sometimes it gets a, a bad rap because people – who are not familiar with that situation might think that there's some type of favoritism or uh, other mm-hmm. things going on. But I mean, how wrong are they pretty much is what I'm trying to ask. Definitely extremely wrong. It's, yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there may be some cases where that's the case, but I mean, with my dad, he was harder on me than he was to any other kid. And, I love uh, that. I bet my yeah. brother can testify to that because he's a freshman in high school right now and he doesn't even have him as his main head coach, but <laughs> he's already getting small glimpses of it. So, that's awesome you guys just like the football family i love it uh what position does he play not to get too off topic what position your brother play he plays tight end and defensive end oh sweet okay sweet um i know obviously you're at northwood and i believe correct me if i'm wrong but they were your first offer correct out of high school yes they were yeah they They were okay oh that's that's awesome i love that they got to you that early and do you think that had a huge part to play as far as where you eventually ended up being you know that they obviously made sure that you knew that you were a priority to them off the bat yeah for sure um you know they offered me early on they said i was the first kid that they offered in the class at least at the quarterback position um okay coach arnold came into school and did it in person rather than on the phone that's awesome a a lot more sincere uh and they just stay consistent. Like, they didn't just offer me and then kind of have a dead period and then come back in December. It was constant from April all the way until signing day and until now. So, I mean, uh, that definitely played a big role. I definitely formed relationships with the coaches here that uh, on my official, I kind of just came up here. And a lot of other schools, I go to schools, and I'd be like, wow, like, this is a great place. But I came to North and I was like, this is where I want to go, like, that's this awesome. Calling name like this is where I want to be. Yeah, that's sweet. Now, what was that uh, recruiting process for you like? I know I talked with a bunch of different guys about this. Uh, our guest a couple weeks ago, Myron Harris, he we talked about. He's at Wayne State, and he said a lot of the same things that you're saying. You know, like this is where I knew I wanted to be. But I've heard the other side of the coin more times than not about kids that you know they go through this and they they hear so many things from so many different schools and pulled in so many different directions it doesn't sound like it was that way for you was it really that streamlined did it and that really helped you uh, make your decision i'm assuming yes for sure it was just they stayed consistent and kept on they didn't really make any promises that were like far fetched like oh you're going to start right away like so they were honest yeah uh, they said it was going to be it was going to be competitive and that i was ready for that challenge 
I love that. Don't shy away from it. I mean, we got we initially up here at Northern. I mean, they were planning on bringing in three running backs in uh, in our class, and I was like, you know, I'm all for it. I love competition. I love good competition. I think that has to be your mindset um, coming to play college football or any sport at the next level because that's what there is. You're, every person on your team was the dude at their school. That's basically what it is. Yep. Um, speaking of that. How do you think that process is different for a kid that, um, you know, like a Division One type kid, an FPS-level kid who's getting these offers junior year? Do you think that just elongates that process, or do you think it's easier for them to kind of narrow down schools? I think it kind of elongates the process a little bit. I mean, you, you can get offered your junior year and senior go the summer going into your senior year, and they just pull the offer, like, yeah. So, I mean, you could be totally like mind, like have your mind set on one school and then they just pull it. And really at the FBS level, like most of those offers aren't guaranteed. Oh, yeah. They're kind of, if you don't perform the way you've been performing, we're going to pull it. And they have no shame in pulling it. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely a, a lot. It's a different process at the Division One level than it is at D2 for sure. I bet. Uh, that's pretty well said. I think, I think that's pretty well said. Now, the schools, um, Thankfully, I don't think GLIAC-wise, which we're talking about Division One, but GLIAC-wise, I think I haven't heard too many horror stories about guys uh, pulling offers or anything like that, which is really nice because you do hear about that at uh, many different mm -hmm. levels. It's not just the big-time Power 5 schools. Like, a lot of different schools can do that, and they kind of keep that right because they justify it by saying, well, oh, the athlete can decommit at any time before they sign, so we should have the right to yep. pull away scholarship offers. It's it's a really interesting dynamic and I've done a lot of research on that and it's it's something that you just kind of got to overcome and kind of take um, but let's talk about your play a little bit coming up to uh, Northwood now obviously you're not the you know six foot four 240 pound quote-unquote pro style quarterback that you know we used to see that was really like the basic makeup of an NFL franchise or a big-time college program but now we have a ton of quarterbacks that are breaking that mold especially in the NFL um, guys like Russell Wilson, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray. I mean, there's a bunch of different guys. There's just a few that are really breaking this mold of the big, heavy pocket passer that we have seen for so many years. How has that encouraged you moving on to play at the next level? And um, you know, obviously, do you enjoy watching these guys play? Yeah, for sure. I think it brings a whole different dynamic to a football game. It totally. Kind of brings a lot more excitement. Like, you're not used to seeing a quarterback break out of the pocket and run 60 yards for a touchdown. Like, that's just now becoming common. And uh, it definitely gave me a lot of inspiration growing up. Like, I was I was always one of the taller kids in elementary school. I wouldn't say I was the tallest. <laughs> elementary was, like, school? <laughs> top 25%. <laughs> and now kind of, like, just above average, if that, at 5'10 and an eighth. But, <laughs> hey, um, hey, we'll take what we can get, but, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. So, uh <laughs> Definitely gave me a lot of inspiration just to keep going and keep working and just knowing that there's other people out there that have done the same thing I've done. So just to keep on grinding and just keep my head down. Hell yeah. Hey, I mean, I stopped growing freshman year of high school. I'm, I'm all of uh, uh, five, nine and like three quarters, I think. So, I mean, we're somewhere around there, right? So yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, that's awesome. And obviously running back, I have the luxury of – um, not needing to be very tall at my position, a low center of gravity is generally favored for someone like that. Um, but it, you know, there's there's different perks to different positions, and I just I love seeing guys like that play uh, in the NFL. Who do you ride with in the NFL? Are you a Lions fan, or I don't know if I've ever asked you. I wouldn't say I'm a Lions fan exactly because they kind of make me upset a little bit. Oh, you watch, did you watch last week? 
Yeah, I did. I did. Okay, okay. I say I'm a Lions fan when they're winning games. When they're losing oh, games, I don't. Oh, come on. <laughs> but uh, I'd probably have to say that I ride the most with probably Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson. Kyler Murray, huh? He yeah. uh, He's had a great year this year. He is absolutely yeah, – that win over the Seahawks, that was huge. Mm-hmm. Did you watch that game? Yes, I did. I watched parts of it. I watched the end of it. Yeah, that was an insane game. Um, And then last thing for you here, we got uh, Halloween. We've got Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State. Who are you taking in those games and uh, why? After last week watching Michigan State, I really don't know. And based off how Michigan played last week, I really don't know if Michigan State has an answer for yeah, Joe Milton. Maybe I should rephrase that. How bad do you think Michigan State will be beat? And this is coming from a Spartan. How bad? What is the what is the points? I text. I was talking to Zach, and I said I text my dad, and he. Uh, I texted him. I said, you know, Michigan State might really get beat by thirty points this week against Michigan, and he texted me back immediately and said, "You're being optimistic." <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it'd be that much of a blowout. I mean, I'd like to see a blowout. I'd enjoy seeing a blowout. Oh. Um, but, I mean, it's a rivalry game. Uh, Michigan State's going to probably play the best team they're going to play all year just because it's Michigan. I Potentially. Mean, they're yeah. still being referred to as the little brother, which oh, they have the past couple of years. Jesus, so, I mean, Jesus. I think, I, think, I think they'll come out firing on all cylinders, but I think at the end of the day, Michigan will be too much to handle. I agree. I agree with that. Um, Penn State – Loses to Indiana in that overtime win where Indiana goes for two quarterback dives for the pylon. Did you uh, you catch any of that? And this has to be a huge bounce back game for Penn State against, like you said, this is going to be their toughest opponent playing Ohio State. Um, yeah, you think they bounce back and get that win against uh, Justin Fields and Ohio State? I mean, I watched the I watched the tail end of the Penn State game last weekend. I mean, in the Big Ten, there's always those upsets every single year. Yeah, I mean. You always see some of the top dogs losing to schools like Indiana or Illinois or I sometimes Iowa. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I wouldn't say that defines what Penn State is this year, but watching Ohio State, I mean, in the first half last last week, they didn't look any better than Penn State did. Now in the second okay. half, they came back on playing on all cylinders and yeah. kind of and they pulled just away by a lot. Put Nebraska and in the dirt. Like Ohio State. Yeah. But I mean. I really don't know if Penn State can ha- handle Ohio State like Michigan State can't handle Michigan. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, uh, I mean, that's really all I, got for, all I got for you today, my man. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. Of course, dog. I'll see you. All right. See ya. All right. It was great to talk to Jake. I really uh, love talking to him about his input and uh, how his high school played out. Looking forward to him making some big moves at the next level down in Midland, Michigan. And, Hopefully plan them in the spring, if not the spring, then in the fall. I mean, yeah. at this point, we don't even know what's going on as far as our season. It, it feels like every other day football is on, football is off. But right now, football needs to be on for the Detroit Lions, who are sitting at 3-3 three and three off of a huge win against Atlanta with Matthew Stafford leading that game-winning drive down the field. And how fitting was it? National tight end day. He goes to his man, Hawkinson, Hawkinson. in the end zone for that finish. And we saw them mic'd up, just screaming inaudible messages to each other at the end yeah. of that, just jumping into each other's arms. And that that was something that, for a Lions fan, I know when you get to that situation, there's you want to feel hopeful. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you just know there's yeah. no way this goes our way. There's yeah. no way. Even I have the utmost confidence in Stafford and his ability and our offense to put together a drive. It's just the, the organization. Honestly, to be honest, like when I was watching that game um, and I watched Todd Gurley, you know, 
the big talk was him accidentally scoring a touchdown. Exactly. And was like, you know, you saw the defense celebrating, and um, I think everybody just kind of knew after they scored. It was kind of just up to Stafford. They knew, you know, he's been called the comeback kid before. Yeah. Um, and the second time that he has thrown a touchdown with no time left in the fourth quarter. Exactly. He's he's good at comebacks, and you know, definitely one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the league. Um, and that's coming from a Packers there fan. There we go. Um. But I, to be honest, I kind of knew that with that much time left on the clock, I knew Stafford, that was just kind of his game. So I yeah. was like, I, I had I had confidence in, in them um, going and winning the game, especially after that um, touchdown by Gurley. I was like, mm, well, if that maybe, you know, say that doesn't happen, they kicked a field goal, you can sit here and say that probably the Falcons win. But oh, yeah, after definitely. they scored, I was like, yeah, I think the Lions are probably going to pull this out. Yeah, and it's weird because you're right because there are times where the Lions, when they get applied that pressure, then all of a sudden they start performing. And you're like, where was this the entire first couple quarters? Yeah, it's, I felt like that even like 10 years ago. Yeah. It, it seems like that's just That's been a their, constant. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they perform at times where you do not expect them to, but I'm obviously over the moon about that win. And talking about Todd Gurley, who scored the touchdown on accident, really. Yeah. Which that's just a lack of communication between him and whoever, and that you got that icon. You could you could tell that he was trying. It yeah. Was just, he just lost his end. balance and then just like at the end in he there. did, and they got that iconic picture afterwards that really sums up 2020. With you have a couple Falcons offensive linemen that obviously didn't know what was going on either because they're yeah. holding up the two arms for touchdown, and yeah. you got two lines defenders like yeah. that's they the scored. Backers, he's in. Yeah. He's in. And that was I think that summed up 2020 pretty good. It was just a weird sequence of events but yeah. it was actually funny i was uh kind of looking in doing some research he has a clause in his contract and i forget how many touchdowns it is but he gets a five hundred thousand dollar bonus if he scores x amount of touchdowns by the end of the season do you uh, think do you think i mean that looked like an accident but do you think that todd said you know what man my time in atlanta has not been great i could use an extra half a mil maybe i stumble into the end zone here yeah i <laughs> that is that's really hard to tell is if it, so if he was thinking about that on the fly i was like no way i, I don't know i don't, I don't think, think so. i don't yeah. i think at that point it's just instincts and i think he realized he broke free and it was like oh well, yeah. maybe i'm a little too free right yeah, now yeah yeah and then he realized it a little too late his you know his toes were on the goal line and he was like well and then you know i, I think he tried as best he could to just fall backwards yeah, but he looked like he it. just had so much forward momentum that it just he put him in the end zone and um, you could, you could tell he was kind of not like upset that they scored, but like, he was just like, damn, I don't know He's if that was the it. best for He's the situation. Yeah, yeah. He was just like, there was just no emotion. He was just contemplating what the hell just happened. And, um, but yeah, that's definitely a tough call for him. And, you know, yeah. it's hard to, it's hard to pass up on points. You know I, what I'm yeah, saying? It, it totally is. And I doubt, like you said, I doubt he was actually thinking about a contract. I'm, I'm sure yeah. it's the last thing going through his head, but I just thought that was funny that people were bringing that up there. There was that clause. Yeah. And the craziest thing about the whole situation was that was the, not the only time we saw that exact situation play mm -hmm. out this weekend. We had uh, Penn state versus Indiana. We'll talk about that later, but basically the same situation arose and the offense made the same mistake and it led to them ultimately losing. Yeah. That happens two times. It's a lack of communication from the coaching staff to the players and whatever, but we talked about like that Detroit offense who performs when they get put under pressure like that. I think part of that reason is that they're very one dimensional and their offense is predicated kind of on being like a two minute offense, yeah, making exactly. those quick, making those quick throws to the sideline, maybe some deep shots in the middle when you're playing against really prevent defense. Yeah. 
and their offense was so one-dimensional. I thought coming off last week where Swift had a 100-yard game against the Jaguars, who not as good of a football team, I think, as Atlanta and yeah. their defense especially, but um, Adrian Peterson averaged 2.6 yards per carry on 11 carries, and Swift only had 27 yards. So that, going into this yeah. week, we got the Colts, and they're obviously they're watching film. If they know that they can stop that run and make that team one-dimensional, mm-hmm. that's going to be a tough week for the Lions. Yeah, exactly. I think the Colts definitely have a chance of, um, you know, stopping the Lions record um, where it stands. But I don't know. I think with the Lions' momentum right now, to be honest, it'd be hard to go against them. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think momentum is huge. Coming off two wins like that, um, Kenny da- Kenny Galladay, excuse me, had a huge day, six catches for 114 yards, but a lot of those were against that prevent defense, just running those middle open routes. And yeah. so I think the stats are a little bit boosted, but he did have a great day, and we, we Lions need to lock him up. They really yeah, exactly. need to lock him up. But the one thing that separates, I think, this year for the Lions, at least it's looking like it's going to separate them, okay. is that they're making meaningful moves in free agency and the trading this year that I'll are going to that. immediately impact their team. Because yeah. they've had time and time again, they've had chances to use the draft to rebuild. You can yeah. only say that word for so long. Yeah, you can exactly. Only, you can only rebuild for so long. You have to build something to begin with. So we just got that defensive end. I'm, of course, I'm blanking on his name from Dallas. That's going to be a contributor, someone that can come in and make a difference right away. Yeah. Right. And the supposedly, this is the talk that the Patriots are actually taking um, considerations for Stephon Gilmore, the reigning defensive player of the year, and possibly, I don't see how, but possibly shipping him out of New England. And for the Lions, with a guy like Trufant out, one of their starting quarterbacks, you have a rookie in Okuda that's you know guarding Julio Jones and these big time talents. Yeah. That is a guy that if you have the cap space and the availability, he's say, a team guy and he is a hell of a player. He's either going to take up a lot of cap space or he's just going to need, uh, you know, the Patriots are going to want a lot of, you know, money. They're going to want something. Yeah, you don't, some, some player value. You don't get that. a guy like that for uh, a bag of balls and I don't know what else, but that would be yeah. really interesting. Um, talked about, let's see, the Browns were, you know, obviously tough game against the Steelers a while back, but Odell Beckham Jr., out for the remainder of the season with an ACL tear. This yeah. year has been the year of injuries. A lot of ACLs. Yeah, I saw exactly. a tweet that said, what the hell even is an ACL? Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't do anything good. Stupid ligament. It's yeah. a stupid ligament. But um, he is out. It was first reported by Josina Anderson. So hopefully I pronounced that right. Monday afternoon. Kind of a you know interesting. You don't see that name typically. But she mm-hmm. received a text from Odell. And then that was obviously confirmed by Adam Schefter and the like of the NFL minutes later. But the thing I wanted to look at is that he's set to earn... $15.75 million next year from the Browns, so 15 and three-quarter million. Almost $13 million is guaranteed for injury protection, and the rest is converted to a full guarantee if he's on the roster for the third day of the league year in March. And March is coming a lot sooner than we think, and we know yeah, that exactly. an ACL tear, you're not going to be recovered by March. I don't no. care what kind of surgery, what kind of rehabilitation um, you know, procedure you have, you're not going to be back by March. So he's going to be making that money, I think, unless – the Browns go, I don't know if they can, even if they cut them, they're still paying $13 million. Yeah, so exactly. I think it's kind of a no brainer for them to hold on to Odell at this point. Yeah, no, they're, I feel like they have to. And if they don't, that's a harebrained decision by them. But yeah, totally. He is not actually the leading receiver. Um, he's kind of in that two and three range. Jarvis Landry is their number one right now, target wise. But I was going to say something about that. I really think that like, if you're looking at overrated players right now, I mean, just 
you know, statistics wise, I mean, Odell's made some incredible catches. He's a big play, flashy he's, he's play guy. Definitely but a flashy play guy, but I don't know if he's got the consistency of like a top receiver. This year, he has not. Yeah, I will exactly. agree with you. This year, I don't think he has. You haven't heard his the production name is just not as enough consistent as what it used to be. And some of the questions have been around actually if Baker and the Browns would they be better off without Odell? Now I I don't think so. I think you still he's a guy that's going to attract yeah. coverage. He's a guy that's going to occupy defenders exactly. and open up other possible targets for Baker. Um, but we could find out next week. You know, the Browns host the Raiders, and coming off their bye week after that terrible uh, loss against the Steelers, they're mm-hmm. going to have a prove-it game. They really need to show up and show out against the Raiders. And like I was saying, Odell is averaging just over 50 yards a game. So respectable number, yeah. not in like an all-pro or in ser- serious talent level. Yeah. And outside of last week, he had um, a touchdown pass actually from Jarvis Landry against the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that Cowboys team go through so much turmoil this year from the I, quarterback position. I'm going to be throughout. honest. I feel like Dak was just the only thing keeping them from going winless. Yeah. Like it was it, – it's well, we're been seeing it so now. night and day that – you know, they needed him, and even then, they still couldn't really produce much, even with his, you know, great number, his great production on, on the field, and it was, like, just still losing games, and it was it was kind of sad to watch, especially after the injury. He was playing at such a high level, but yeah, he um, was. Cowboys definitely going to need him. going to need to make some moves in the offseason, try and, um, you know, just save face for their franchise and, seriously, um, you know, get better and – um, start winning some more games. Yeah, that is a complete and utter understatement, but you're right. Yeah. I think that moment with Dak being carted out the field was one of the more emotional uh, moments that I've seen in football yeah. because you know um, in this offseason, outside of all of the contract issues that him and that organization went through yeah. and how much he wanted to be paid before his ultimate um, getting the franchise tag, which he's on right now, Yeah. Um, outside of that, the work that he's put in and that Cowboys team just being – mediocre at yeah, best exactly. really they've really just been mediocre with i think a great quarterback he, he's really put up numbers and you, you could have made an argument for him being a great quarterback yeah especially if he stays in he was leading you know oh he, he was he a stat was like leader yeah 500 yards ahead of like everybody a week ha- like. a week after he left he was still he was still in the he top. was still the yards uh yeah the yard leader so yeah. that's something that he was producing he's finally out of the top five i'm pretty sure he, like, yes, he's this week so. he's finally out of the top five and that's just that's unreal that's insane like he with, uh, he was yeah. literally al- almost at what was I think it was two thousand yards he was close to probably and it was like after a few weeks, weeks just four, a few weeks yeah yeah four or three something like that yeah. but it was like he was he was wheeling and dealing and um it was sad to watch him go down but yeah obviously it hurt and then um, that's a great segment actually into our next piece is talking about the NFC least as uh, basically <laughs> what I'm calling it because yeah. the NFC East right now that. 2019 was not good to them. I think 2020 might actually be worse. If the season ended today, the division leader, Philadelphia Eagles, would host a playoff (laughs) game at 2-4-1. and They would host a playoff game, which in this COVID football, you know, time span that we are in, hosting is maybe not that big of a deal compared, you know, when you have the crowd advantage, whatever. But it's still a travel. You're going on the road to play in somebody else's house. And I... There's no way... Talk about like you know the NFC, uh, the NFC West with all of these stacked teams. Then you talk about the NFC East here, and I, I don't know. I, I really don't know what to say about it because there's no way. Obviously, the division leader needs to mm-hmm. advance into the playoffs, or else your system could be potentially flawed. Yeah. But is there any way that any of these teams turn it around in the NFC East? 
Uh, I think it's hard to tell. I haven't really checked like the strength of the schedule for the Eagles or really anybody else, but I just That's know true. that um, it's going to be hard. I think the Eagles probably, I mean, obviously they are standing at the top of the um, NFC East, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I but t- probably see them coming out, especially big, yeah, exactly. big Wentz fans, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like they could turn it around. At least they need to get to something... If they get to something above 500, I'll let it pass. That would be... Yeah, that'd be that'd they, be very good for them. I think honestly, they need that, especially if they're going to try and, um, I mean, playoffs. You can really say anything because yeah, um, once you get to the playoffs, really everything's out the window. It's a new it's just, season, which exactly. is which is so unreal. All that matters. We saw the Titans go on an insane run last year, yeah, because they picked up momentum at the right time. A and because B, they were healthy. Yeah, exactly. And that was something that a lot of teams did not – they didn't have that luxury. So we've seen the Eagles do that too. When they got to that Super Bowl, when they won that Super Bowl, excuse me, they got hot at the right time. And then yeah. even when your starting quarterback goes down, you're, you're next guy up. Menta- that's that, was, mentality. Yeah, that was hard to watch. Um, oh, I I'm bet. trying to remember what what year was that. 2017, I'm pretty sure. Um, you know, it escapes me off right the, now. Outside, yeah, it was like yeah. – it was one of those times, but – Pretty sure it was the Eagles were going against the Rams, and then that's when Carson Wentz got – he dove into the end zone, and then he obviously um, pinched his ACL and then um, tore it. He ends up throwing a touchdown on that next play, not even realizing that he tore it, that's and nuts. then goes out. That is um, nuts. What, a stupid, it, that was what a stupid ligament. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what an absolute just stupid ligament. You we'll ever put heard, that there. You ever heard anything good about an ACL? I, no, I mean – I don't think so. Probably. <laughs> I think it's got something to do with balance, but uh, something to do with balance. I don't know, just knee mechanics. I haven't looked too far into that, but definitely, it seems like the only thing that you are hearing is just that it's been torn and seriously. And we started. I think it's kind of gotten overshadowed now that all this football is back. But the first one or two weeks of the NFL coming back, it would teams were riddled with yeah. all kinds of injuries. Just saw some big names go down. I know Bosa had an ACL. Bosa, He's ACL, out for the year. Saquon. So Saquon was another huge name that went down. Another guy that would have really helped this Giants team who, uh, you know, Danny Dimes, the New York Giants, they are at one and six right now. Their last two games yeah. against uh, the Washington football team and the Eagles, they both, they lost by one point to both of those teams. Yeah. So I'd love to say that the Eagles are like a favorite and they can, you know, they have got real other like, a lock to be in the playoffs. Yeah. But if you're beating the Giants, who are 1-6 and six right now by, by one, one point, point yeah. you're going to have to see some more consistent play out of that. Yeah. Um, the quarterback, Andy Dalton, who came in in replacement of Dak Prescott for the Cowboys. Dalton, previously with the Bengals, kind of you know in his later years of his career, but still producing at a quarterback level. Yeah. No, no uh, superstar, but he's still producing. He gets absolutely hammered. Yeah, that was one of the Terrible play. Seen. Terrible play. He goes down with concussion in a loss to said Washington football team. And now they have a third string guy in there. I don't even know his name. Do you know who's who's playing for um, America's no team at this point? No idea. You think Jerry Jones knows who's playing for America's team? I'm pretty sure he's asking the same question. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Oh. oh, that's great. Getting out of the NFC East, finally, I can only talk about them for a certain period of time. We'll talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are the last undefeated team after being the, t- yeah. the Titans, excuse me, 27-24. to 24. That first half of that game was all Pittsburgh. I mean, did you, yeah, just watch, sure. you get to watch any of that? Yeah. So that pr- first half of the game, all Pittsburgh. They didn't allow any sacks in the entire game, which was huge for them because obviously their defense is one of the, if not probably the best defense in the yeah, league right sure. now. And the argument, the... Past following couple of weeks, even from us, 
has been mm-hmm. that they hadn't played anyone. Remember, yeah. we talked about how they were playing Eagles, Giants, and all these other teams that were below 500. They come out against the Browns and absolutely snuff the Browns, even though Baker goes out with an injury, um, unfortunately. But yeah. they proved there, for me, they proved they were legit. And then they come out against this Titans team who's got one of the more multidimensional offenses in the league right now. Ryan Tannehill is playing elite football, and Derrick Henry, you don't even have to talk about him. But Derrick Henry right now... He, he they, the Steelers' defense, excuse me, they held Derrick Henry to under four yards per carry, which that for anyone for any other back, I think that's probably decent. In the first half, he was under that. He was about two yards per carry in the first half. That is ridiculous numbers from a guy who we've seen him break off big time runs from yeah. his own two yard line, and for them to hold him to that, we knew that their pass rush defense. We talked about T.J. Watt last week being a really prominent pass rush defender. Mm-hmm. And they dominated the line of scrimmage in that win. It was huge. Yeah, exactly. That I feel like that was the thing that set them apart and ultimately won them the game. I mean, the offense was producing, obviously. Big Ben throwing 49 times, that's really unheard Unreal. of. Unreal. Um, but, you know, you're when you have a veteran like that, that you can let sit back there, throw the ball, um, and really make those big plays for the offense. And, you know, they put up 27. That's that's pretty pretty good for a, uh, oh, yeah. for their an offense. offensive stand. That was, that was pretty good. Um, but, you know, holding the Titans and, um, you know, make sure Derrick Henry is, you know, staying under four. That four yards per carry is insane. For him, yeah. And uh, I don't know. That really just showed that, you know, Pittsburgh's defense really has minimal weaknesses at this point. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's shown, I mean, their secondary is really good. And um, same with pass rushing. So, when we saw that that stand at the line, that's pretty. That's pretty good for the for their defense. You know, stopping arguably the top running back in the nation. Yeah. So um, yeah. definitely showing that they're a very well rounded team, and I think they deserve to be the last undefeated team. Yeah, I think so too. And they're like legit Super Bowl contenders at this point. For sure, definitely. Now he throws forty nine times. That's what you can do when you don't allow a single sack throughout oh, for the game. Sure. And when you throw forty nine times, some of those are going to go to the other team. Tennessee's mm-hmm. defense did step up, which kept them in this game because that first Honestly, half, yeah, I that think first that was half was all Pittsburgh, and Tennessee yeah. had nothing to do with it. Three interceptions from that Titans defense. Yeah. That is what made this game so close. I think that score is a little bit deceiving based mm-hmm. on how uh, the Steelers play. If Big Ben takes care of that ball a little bit more. But yeah, it just keeps it in. If you throw the ball 50 times, I mean, I, I feel like that's bound to happen. But at yeah. the same time, three interceptions is, that's a lot. It is, that is a lot, and that's um, something that, you know, you don't really want to see from a veteran quarterback. But, I mean, it was him, and they, they knew that they had control of the game. And it, I felt like they knew that they were comfortable with just letting them sit back there and oh, air yeah. it out. So um, they probably were comfortable knowing that they were going to win. But uh, I, they know they're not going to lose faith in them, even with no. those three interceptions. No, th- he's their guy. He's 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 proven time in time out that that's that's their dude. So no argument there. Um, but still, forty nine times. Obviously, like you said, just more opportunities for um, you know, some bad plays, but um. Yeah, definitely. I agree that those three interceptions was the thing that put the Titans in the game. If yeah. they, if you take care of the ball a little bit better, I think you you're even beating them by worse. They so could run like, away. They could have run away with that it, game. Yeah, exactly. And maybe they would have without those three interceptions could have put more points up on the board. Exactly. Let alone um, take away some of the Titans points. So that obviously, like you said, a little bit of deceiving of a score. But um, Steelers are definitely a top contender right now. Yeah, and you talk about how they were comfortable. That was the biggest thing that I saw from the Titans. They got uh, they had let up two sacks in the day, so nothing insane. But that Steelers defense was hitting home, and you know Tannehill in the back of his mind is thinking about that. Those QB yeah. hits that 
Um, I didn't look into those stats, but sometimes all it takes is somebody's for somebody's face to be in the pocket, and then you're thinking about it, and you're thinking about oh, it. Oh, for they, sure. It got them out of rhythm a little yeah. bit, and they were uncomfortable. And yeah. that their team showed that obviously, I mean, they lost by three points. We you can't, you know, no matter how deceiving it yeah, is, exactly. they were they were in that game. So with that with a team like that, when you get out of rhythm, they showed that they were still a really solid team because they yeah. bounced back and they were able to keep this game yeah. super competitive. Um, but a team that is not very competitive in just about anything. Terrible yeah. at the football. The New York Jets. Yeah. Right? Now, I use this as a segue because Trevor Lawrence is who we're talking about, mm-hmm. and he has come out recently and said that he is open to staying at Clemson for his last his senior year. Now, he is – the way he's playing right now, and everyone knows he's going to be the number one draft pick, especially for possibly – even though they have a young quarterback mm-hmm. with Sam Darnold and the Jets. Right, Sam Darnold? Yeah, Sam Darnold. Yeah, and he might be shipped out. Yeah, I honestly, if I was the Jets, to be honest, I don't think Darnold's playing at that bad of a level. I to don't be, think so. I think I, he's a solid quarterback. I think you need to look elsewhere for who you're drafting. Honestly, you I, I think Gase. Yeah, I think Adam Gase. Yeah, <laughs> and say maybe it's not even well. Part of it is the player issue. They they don't have an extreme amount of talent on that That's roster to begin say. with, but part of it is also the management issue. Yeah. We've had. There's been multiple players come out against Adam Gates and just pretty much shit on him. Yeah, just exactly. Like, just... And if somebody feels, first of all, you, you don't want that in your locker room because you'd rather have somebody approach you and yeah. talk to you, right? And we've seen that with uh, Mike McCarthy, actually, in the Cowboys. Their locker mm-hmm. room has been in some turmoil as well recently. Same with Houston. And Houston. Houston, too. Bill O'Brien. And, and you see these teams, and McCarthy actually came out and said, he was like, I'd much rather have these guys just come talk to me. Well, the problem yeah, exactly. is the problem is they don't feel comfortable. Obviously, they yeah. don't feel comfortable enough to come talk to you. So or you got would. yeah, exactly. Or you, so now you got a couple of rats that I don't call them rats, but for all intents and purposes, rats yes. that are out here leaking information to the media, and then you give it to reporters and stuff, and then they spin their own narrative on it, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden you have a very downhill slope. But Trevor Lawrence speaking on this topic, he said, "quote My mindset has been that I'm going to move on." The NFL. But who knows? There's a lot of things that could happen. That might be the most ambiguous statement I've ever heard. And yeah, just, for sure. <laughs> I don't know if he's trying to toy with people and their minds yeah. right now, but that could go both ways. And obviously, a lot of things are not happening. Yeah, I would definitely. Right I would never, you know, go to Vegas and place a bet on which way that would go. <laughs> I don't know if, that would, if he. Honestly, it'd have to depend. I think he's probably gonna, you know, take some time, <laughs> look at what's gonna happen for the draft. Yeah. Obviously, you know, he might be thinking if if the Jets aren't the first, if they aren't the number one pick, he might put that in consideration. Mm. And um, I don't know, he could pull like an Eli Manning like we've seen before. Yeah. Um, which people were thinking that Burrow might have done that. Which yeah, that's another guy right. who's playing at an extreme level who needs help almost like a Dak Prescott where he he's has throwing elevated, for a ton he's of elevated yards. his team though. Very he, much he so. has. Yeah. And um, it's, you know, that's another thing that it's like, he just keeps taking loss after loss, and it's not really showing, you know, the amount of output that he's put on That's a true. game and just, like, his, true. Um, you know, consistency in his pass game. I mean, he's the first rookie to throw uh, through, what's, how many weeks has this been? Six. So, yeah, so six weeks. Um, he's hasn't thrown for under 300 yards. So, Are you serious? Yes, he has not. Holy he has yet to, to not throw for 300 yards. Holy shit. So, you know, that amount of production out of a rookie quarterback yeah. um, and still being losing, you know, you have to look elsewhere, obviously, for this draft. Um, they're going to need a little more help. 
maybe probably on the defensive side, I'm guessing. I would agree with that. Because, because their yeah. offense is pretty good. I would rank their offensive lineman as probably the worst in the NFL right now. Joe Burrow has been running around, still making plays, but he has just been running for his freaking life. Yeah. And um, so they probably need a little help with that. And then defense needs a little bit more um, consistency in their play. Part of the conversation, too, if they're really going to build around Burrow, which yeah. I would expect they will do, it would is be that stupid to not. Their wide receivers are much more in the veteran aspect yeah. of, of their years. Besides the guys T. Higgins, like AJ Green yeah. and those type of players. Tyler Boyd. Yeah. So those guys, it'll be interesting to see what they do with their contracts. Mm -hmm. Maybe they try and not rebuild because they're kind of in that process right now of trying to get up, but mm -hmm. to see who they surround Burrow with, that yeah. would be super interesting. We've seen these LSU guys coming from that. They always call it a pro style offense at LSU. And that what well, we're seeing it translate right now between yeah. him, Clyde Edwards, Alaire, Justin, Justin Jefferson for the Vikings. These guys are impact players right out of the gate for these oh, NFL, for sure. big time NFL franchise. Well, the Vikings and big time. I want to say they're all leading in yards. I mean, obviously different areas. Uh, really? They're they're I in the top actually, five for each. Top I know, five. Top five. I definitely see. I don't think they're leading. No, uh, no, not no. leading. Yeah. Burrow's Burrow's in top five. Uh, Clyde Edwards is second. He, in, I know he's up there. Yep. And then um, Justin Jefferson is another person who's top five. All top Easily. fives leading. In, I mean, the leaders of yeah. the NFL. They're one of those guys it's that are wild, and they're coming right at the first year. Into the NFL offense, that's that's insane to see. Yeah, so going over into a bit of college football talk, today's going to be all Big Ten because I was so happy to have it back. I'm sure you were yeah, sure. elated to have Big Ten football back because, you know, SEC, they do it different down there. Of course they do. They, they're yeah, a ton of great football teams in that conference. Uh, ACC, outside of Clemson, I mean, they're dominating, but they've got some solid teams, ACC, we've seen. But – the schools around here especially, that's what makes it so important for me is to see teams like Michigan, Michigan State, teams from this Midwest area yeah. that are competing. I love to see that. Yeah. So we talked about how Todd Gurley had that uh, mishap in the Falcons-Lions game, and we kind of mentioned this Indiana versus Penn State game. Indiana wins 36-35 to in overtime. That quarterback, he dives to the pylon, and yeah. I'm still not sure if he was in or not. But besides that, the sophomore running back, Devin Ford, he made the same mistake as Todd Gurley in that game for Penn State. He, you could really see he was hesitantly like kind of running to the end zone and he looks over at the sideline and he's like gesturing, like, should I go down? Should I go down? And uh, like, he just like toe tapped. I think he like literally just kind of stepped barely over the line. Yeah. I, it was in the moment. I didn't think much of it. You know what I mean? Cause mm -hmm. I, I just wasn't thinking from a coaching mindset. Same yeah. thing. I'm sure he wasn't thinking about that. Yeah, but again, your instincts come in at that point. That's a lack of communication. That's like uh baseball last inning. I know my head coach will be like, all right, take a strike. Like, take a strike when I you know, draw yeah. this inning and make sure we get good battling at bats. Maybe a stupid analogy, but just communicate to your players how you want them to perform in, in situational games. Yeah, exactly. It's important. Like, yeah, I think, um, you know, you could make the case for Gurley, you know, maybe that is a little bit more of instincts taking over. And, yeah, but he's, um, a, he's a pro. They right might have, all, yeah, yeah, they might have told him, you know, if you if you break free, go down. Um but with Devin Ford, you know, like you said, making those gestures doesn't really seem like the coaches really made it, you know, necessarily clear to him. Uh, no, that obviously that's what not. They, that's what their goal was or anything like that. He looked really hesitant on what his decision was. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely say that that's probably something with the coaching, um, letting him know, you know, if you break free, you got to go down because then we can run the clock out and then ultimately kick a field goal. Yeah. And that's situational. And that's hard to tell because, you know, obviously your brain's going to say, I see pay dirt. Let's go. So it's like, <laughs> they, why would you not, you know, take the points when you can? Yeah. And 
you know, leave it up to your defense. Because, I mean, a minute 42, you're still leaving your defense with – minutes 42 is a lot for an offense to handle. But if you have faith in your defense, I mean, your defense is another part of your team that you have to be able to totally. rely on. So if you put up those points, you have to be able to say, okay, look, my, my defense is going to go out there and, and make a stop. But, you know, that's hard to tell. I think probably if that's what they ultimately were trying to go for um, with having him, you know – uh, you know, fall down before the end zone. That was definitely a communication error. Yeah, and Indiana looked great in that game. I will say they definitely, kept it, they definitely they kept it competitive. Good. It was mostly Penn State kind of in the first half, but um, you know, Penn State we knew they were going to come out hot just because of yeah, where exactly. they're ranked and how they've played in the past uh, under Coach Franklin and just. The, the Nittany Lions have been great in previous yeah. years, right behind Ohio State, right there in the Big Ten, that yeah, they've exactly. really been dominating. Um, but obviously, Indiana looked really good because they won this game, which I did not see happening. They go for two, but they could have tied it. They could have tied it and settled for a second overtime. They tried to capitalize on it. Obviously, they got it, but it was a very polarizing, very polarizing win. Uh, the Indian, Indiana quarterback, excuse me, Michael Penix Jr., who dove for the pylon in overtime, in my opinion, it looked like he was short. But... The problem with that is, is that I should say the problem, but the reason that um, it, it stood, in my opinion, is that the call on the field was a touchdown. Yeah. So when you go into that replay process, what they say is you have to have quote irrefutable evidence, innocent until proven guilty. Exactly. Same same concept. So if you look at the replay and you cannot definitively say, oh yeah, he's short, we can see the gap, whatever. Yeah, you can't just. You got to go by the call yeah. on the field. So. Maybe that screwed him over. Maybe not. Yeah. It could just be this. I was going to say it could really just be like a, a chip on the shoulder for Penn State and they go on and dominate. Exactly. But when you have a season that's only eight games, yeah, this becomes a much larger issue because yeah, now exactly. you don't have enough time to prove yourself potentially yeah. for a playoff berth. I mean, yeah, definitely with that. But um, I think the the biggest thing is that also they have, um, you know, Ohio State to play, which honestly, yeah. if, if they beat them, then. You're you're definitely back in that playoff talk, so um, they still have a chance. I don't think that's uh, you know season defining for them, especially since it was a one point loss. Oh yeah, in, in overtime, but it's a great it's, game. Yeah, exactly. So um, you know, AP polls are going to talk about that and they'll evaluate that, especially with the win over Ohio. Somebody like Ohio State that would be um, huge. That man. would be huge for them to put them into that like top five, top four talk for college football. Huge game here between two ranked teams in the Big Ten, Michigan and Minnesota. Michigan runs away with this one, 49-24, but originally it didn't look like that was going to be the case. Minnesota gets mm -hmm. the ball, they drive down the field, and they yeah. score, and they had a commanding drive. Yeah, exactly. Quarterback looked comfortable, offense looked like they were in rhythm, they were clicking on all cylinders, and I think the most impressive thing for me, um, coming from a Michigan State fan, so maybe potentially a little bit biased here, but I'll try and keep it objective. Joe Milton, quarterback for Michigan, who has previously seen very little uh, actual game time, and especially in an environment like this, in a huge game, to come out and show out immediately, he fit right into a uh, big-time environment against a ranked team, mm -hmm. and I was impressed. I really was. I think he's got he's got solid arm talent. He can get out of the pocket and make plays, and he fits their style of offense pretty well. Yeah, I think so. Um, honestly, I was I was waiting to see, um, you know, with the off season, showing what Minnesota can do, showing what Michigan can do. It's hard to tell, um, you know, if Minnesota is should be ranked way lower, maybe unranked, yeah, but, uh, or if Michigan is just one of those top contending teams. So yeah, um, we don't know yet. We're, we we're not really we going to see enough. Yeah. So, um, but Eventually yeah, I definitely agree. Weekend. Joe Milton fits that um, style of offense and. Um, you know, they really ran away with it um, 
the running game looked stout for Michigan. It did. Definitely. They, they scored, were just pounding uh, the rock. I think they scored on their first or second play from scrimmage. They yeah. had a running back just go for like 60-some yards. Yeah. And at that point, this is right after I watched Minnesota drive down the field. And it's, I had to see like, uh, I just had to see this semi-truck wide a hole open up. And yeah. this running back obviously just sprinted down the field. And that, from there on, I mean, you know, Michigan definitely had a command of the game. And their offense looked really good. A guy that I was a huge fan of in that game, we'll talk about a little bit, is Ben Mason. And I played fullback in high school a little bit. My opinion, best position in football. You get to run. You get to block. Blocking is, I I love blocking. I'm I'm a blocking type back. Mm -hmm. And you get to catch passes out of the backfield. Ben Mason is a fullback for U of M, number 42. He's an absolute monster. I think he's built. He's built different. That's how he's built. That's how he's built. He had a touchdown jumping over one of the defenders from uh, Minnesota. And one of the things that I saw from him that was a good, you know, stretch of character development is that he actually started the game with a 15-yard penalty for an unsportsmanlike conduct. Yeah. And you know what it was for? What was it? It was blocking this guy out of bounds. Nice. He just kept going. I've had, I've had my fair share of those uh, in high school, so I, I know exactly what that's like. But to start a game like that is huge, especially in a game where, you know, Minnesota, like I said, went down and scored, like, immediately. Mm-hmm. If you're going to give them a step up or a leg up like that, that could have gone very wrong. But he came back. He bounced back. And um, he he had a quote after the game that he said that he felt back at home in this yeah. offense. They actually put him over, and he was playing defensive tackle for a bit for the Wolverines. And he put on, I want to say, like 40 or 50 pounds and just bulked up to play D-tackle. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they decided they wanted him back at fullback. So he's gone through the transformation, and now he's he's really being comfortable in that offense. He feels a lot quicker. Yeah. And that's a dude that I loved watching. Yeah, definitely one of those guys that got a lot of grit to him and uh... – Easy to root for, I feel like. He's really easy to root for. And his younger brother, actually, is playing. He just committed to play. He might be uh, our class or a class lower. No, actually, no. I think he's our class or a class uh, above us. But he's playing at Ithaca College in uh, upstate New York. And so it sounds familiar to you because I was thinking about going to Ithaca College. So I did a little bit of research, a little deep dive on the the old Instagram, and I saw that. So um, shout out to little Mason up there in uh, Ithaca College. That place is absolutely sweet. Um, But... Other game we want to talk about here is Wisconsin versus Illinois. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin, I mean Illinois did not look great, but Wisconsin yeah. can play with that huge win, forty-five to seven. Yeah. Uh, that quarterback for Wisconsin, he's a redshirt freshman. Yeah, Graham Mertz, he was perfect through the first half, and I think he hit one incompletion on the night. Yeah, that is unreal. That stat line is unheard of for any level. I don't care if you're in high school, college, yeah, exactly. professional level. If you're going to throw the ball, you know, they threw the ball a lot. He threw for 248 yards, five touchdowns, threw the ball 21 times, and he was on target, man. He was on yeah. target. He was hitting receivers, and he really was at the high of all highs. And then he got the positive COVID test. Yeah. That devil, it's like the ACL. Yeah, exactly. nothing, nothing good about it. There's nothing good about it. And the problem with that, not only is that a two-week, that's a three-week hiatus from playing football. I'm yeah, I'm actually kind of confused on why it's three, but um, I am as well. But that's the Big Ten. That is the Big Ten how they're handling this. Yeah, exactly. Um, I really don't know because when he comes back, half their season's going to be over. Yeah, exactly. They're going to be in week five. That's uh, unreal. That's... That is an unreal thought for a team that looked, you know, insane top ten. They were ranked uh, number nine in this week's AP poll, and they look to be obvious favorites in the West for the Big Ten. Obviously, yeah. away from Ohio State, Penn State, teams like that, they're going to pull out in the West. I think for sure. Yeah. Um, but 21 days. Yeah, exactly. And now they're down to their um fourth string. They're on their fourth string. Well, because since oh so contract he, contact tracing, excuse me. I yeah. think I think I read so about that. Graham Mertz had it, and then um 
what was it? Three other quarterbacks. Something like that. I think I saw because so he was because like, he was in contact. Other, excuse me. Yeah, two, two but, but he was in contact with them, so they yeah, had to exactly. take the necessary precautions. So now another fourth string. That's going to be tough. We might see a different Wisconsin team this week, but maybe not. Yeah, maybe exactly. they have enough pieces, and I'll be impressed if they do. But maybe they have enough pieces where they're going to bounce back like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but we won't be seeing that next week because you know what happened is that they shut down all football operations for seven days, which included canceling their game scheduled for this weekend against Nebraska. And uh, head coach Paul Christ has tested positive for the virus as well as of Wednesday morning. So COVID has taken a toll on this Wisconsin team. And I hate to say it, but I knew this was going to happen. I don't know if it was going to happen yeah. with Wisconsin. I knew it was going to happen to a Big Ten team yeah. just because they did not give that leeway. Yeah. Of the extra couple weeks to reschedule, whatever the NFL has dealt with it, other leagues are already starting to deal with it. You knew it was going to strike the Big Ten. There's no way they can keep that away. Um, there's only so much you can do. Yeah, right. I just feel like there's only so much you can do to keep COVID away for an extended period of time, and they're obviously seeing the downside of that. Yeah. All right. Now, lastly, here we're going to talk about uh, Rutgers, the Scarlet Knights versus our Michigan State Spartans, and that was. By by no means a very satisfying game to watch. That was a very tough game to watch. Um, it was a terrible start for the Spartans under new head coach Mel Tucker, who we've heard very mixed reviews about, but I think as a coach, most people think that he's uh, a very prominent individual and really capable, I should say capable is the word that I've heard a lot from a lot of big-time names from around different conferences that he can really lead this program. But when you turn the ball over six times, man, you have no business being in a game, especially when the Big Ten. I mean, Rutgers has been a slouch. I think it was 21 or 22 games. We mentioned it at the start of the podcast that they had not won in the Big Ten. Rutgers yeah. is no slouch this year. Um, and I just – I don't know, man. I don't know what to say about that game. Uh, I don't really know. What to, I mean, I'm praying to God that it's a just a, a rebirth for Rutgers. Okay. Because I hope, I hope that they're better – and it's not the fact that Michigan State is horrible. Yeah. And I, but I don't know. It's going to be tough to see. And, um, you know, six turnovers, it doesn't matter who you're playing against. It really doesn't. So, And I think a key a key thing there is that Rutgers – give credit to Rutgers. Rutgers looks solid. And this could be a chance where Rutgers not going to go winless the rest of the year. I doubt it. After yeah. seeing them play, I think they have enough talent to do that. And outside of that, Greg Schiano has actually come back for his second stint as the head coach at Rutgers. Mm-hmm. He was there um, for maybe eight to ten years. He was there for a while um, years ago, and he brought them pretty much to prominence. And Rutgers is known as really the birthplace of college football. I think they played in the early to mid-1800s and yeah. like really brought college football to America. So, hey, props for them. But recently, they've been trash. They've been uh, absolutely terrible. But I think Greg Schiano, him coming back – him having the experience at Rutgers and uh, knowing what winning is like and knowing the culture of what winning is and yeah. injecting that, whatever the hell that is, injecting it into that locker room in a big dose, that's got those Rutgers guys feeling pretty good. I yeah, bet, exactly. Especially that, after that win, a lot of those guys probably don't even know what that feels like, right? For sure. Because last year going defeated, I was undefeated, and they had a perfect season in the Big Ten last year. They couldn't win in the Big Ten. Yeah. Um, but – Having that feeling for those guys, they got to feel on top of the world. But the one thing you want to be afraid of with them is that they don't become complacent, right? Yeah. You got you got to stay hungry and you got to win that next week. Um, but the thing that stood out for me was the Rutgers front seven. They were yeah. legit. They were legit. They uh, they held the box really well. And for a team like Michigan State, whose offense is predicated on being more physical than your opponent, 
Yeah, that's, I feel like their whole team yeah. was mostly norm for that. But. Yeah, I mean, that's been Michigan State's identity, really, yeah, exactly. for the last however long D'Antonio was there, and I'm assuming Mel Tucker would like to keep something like that, but I don't I don't know if maybe that's not a style. But right now, that's really their Seemed, identity. Uh, the research that I was doing on, on him, it sounded like that was what he was trying yeah. to go for. Well, you're trying to go for it. The team was trying to go for it. It simply was not there against Rutgers. Yeah. And so if you're predicated on being more physical than the other team yeah. and your front seven – uh, excuse me, Rutgers front seven is holding you in that box, and they were just stuffing it. Their run game got absolutely nothing. Elijah Collins didn't even come in for that first possession. They had Hayward in there, and yeah. there was a lot of uproar on Twitter and other social media about that. Um, mm. Hayward did not have a great day. Did he have? I think he had negative one yard when it was all said and yeah. done. Uh, honestly, it's it. I knew this this start to the you know state season especially was going to be rough just because. They really have just went through the gauntlet of all gauntlets. Yeah, COVID, have. new coach, just everything. The, the big change in their entire seems yeah. like just you know coaching staff, everything as a whole. The proving point next week will be for Rutgers, who's uh, playing Indiana, yeah. coming off that huge win against Penn State for Indiana. Um, is Rutgers going to get throttled by the Hoosiers, or are they going to stick in it and make it competitive? I'd say they get beat by two or three scores, but. Maybe we don't know. We we maybe we haven't seen the best of this uh, this Rutgers team, but I feel like it's going to be one of the two. They're either in it or they're not. Just not. Yeah, I, I'm I'm erring on the side. I think they're going to get beat pretty handily by Indiana, yeah. who's not going to turn the ball over six times. Imagine that. Yeah. Right. So I think Rutgers potentially gets kind of put yeah. back, not back in their place, but put down a peg on yeah, the ladder exactly. by Indiana this next week. I think state. The I I. Honestly, I'm not going to go out on any assumptions. I still think um, Mel Tucker needs time. Yeah, he needs um, more than you know, however many months he was given, and he. I feel like he will make an impact with state. I think he will have an uprising season at Good. some point. Um, you know, this season I knew was going to be tough. I don't expect like a ton of output this season, especially, but um, definitely just starting to see. At least just a little bit of, um, you know, positive linear. I hope we need a little bit. We need some life. We need some yeah, life exactly. from this team this weekend playing Michigan Halloween. Not only that, we have Ohio State, Penn State Halloween, which is going to be unreal as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, Michigan, Michigan State. There's a chance that I, I joke. <laughs> I sent my dad a text and uh, Spartan fan as well. And I sent him a text. I was like, man, like we're going to get beat by 30. And he goes, 30? He's like, you're optimistic. <laughs> yeah, to be honest. Uh, well, it's... It, Michigan could run away with that game, and there's there's not a part of me that says Harbaugh does not I th- feel bad for running up the score on these guys. Oh, no, and he won't, he won't even think twice about no. it because of what D'Antonio put him through. Yeah, exactly. So if D'Antonio put him through a lot. And, <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it's hard to tell. But I, I think this season, State... Looked better last season, and Michigan ran so away far. with it last yeah. year. Yeah. So, so we'll it'll, it'll be an interesting matchup uh, this weekend. Obviously, between those two teams, a great in-state rivalry, one of the best in the country, uh, Penn State, Ohio State. That'll be a huge game. Penn State looking to bounce them. back. Ohio State looked great in week one against yeah. Nebraska. Absolutely dominated. We didn't really talk about that game that much because – don't really unlike, need to. Yeah, unlike the rest of these games, it went pretty much exactly how yeah. we expected it to. Nebraska, Besides Maryland and Northwestern, Northwestern kicked the shit yeah. out of Maryland. Northwestern, but. I was impressed. I was I was genuinely impressed. But, still. Um, but that's all we've got for this episode of Division One Rejects. And uh, I just want to say thank you for uh, listening, watching, whatever you're doing. Please uh, go out, be uh, be a friend, uh, share the show. 
please go out and tell somebody that you think uh, would enjoy this show. That means the most to me. means the most to Zach. I know it. Doesn't it, Zach? Yes. <laughs> but seriously, thank you so much for watching and uh, enjoy some football on Halloween.